Thank you for joining us. Um, let's say a prayer and then we'll begin with, with, with what we're doing. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your love, your kindness and your mercy towards us. Um, as we go into tonight's topic, I'm praying that you send down the Holy Spirit to be with us, to guide our thoughts, guide our minds, our responses. I'm praying to Heavenly Father that people will be impacted and be blessed. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So um, this evening, evening here, but I think afternoon where Dr. Dupre is. Um, right. I just want to welcome you. Um, tonight's topic, we're looking at ethics. Um, Dr. Dupre is joining us from, I, I, I thought you were in Bangladesh, to be honest. And then I found out via our emails, he's joining us from Arizona. Um, Dr. Dupre, thank you very much for joining us. Um, just quickly, because I'm looking at the time, how did you get into ethics? And then we'll jump into some of our questions. Oh, wow. Well, thank you, firstly, for the invitation, Sam. It's been wonderful no to uh, have the opportunity to share. And it's been great to get acquainted with you and then reacquainted, of course, with Craig. Uh, how did I get into ethics? Well, probably, thank God, I was raised in a Seventh-day Adventist Christian home. Mm. And as a child, we were taught the issues of doing right and wrong. And I'll admit, yes, back then we didn't have as much what I would call a solid Christ-centered emphasis. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when you raise, and obviously in time you learn more, but I would say from childhood, mm -hmm. I had the opportunity to have, and again, no family is perfect. My family wasn't perfect, but I thank God for my family helping me to begin to understand right and wrong. And then I want to fast forward 25 years till I arrived at Andrews University. And one of the courses I took there working on my first master's degree was a course in ethics. Okay. And the, and the textbook was very interesting. It was written by, I believe it a Baptist professor. Uh, and, and he came up with a system of making moral decisions. And as I was studying in the class and, and reading this book, it triggered a lot of questions in my mind. Okay. And then I fast forward from then, which was 1978, almost another 20 years, mm. uh, 1997, when okay. I finished a doctorate in theology, in theological ethics. And okay. that, same, that same textbook that I had back in 1978, I mm. managed to meet the author. I managed to really? go into his office. And okay. I got, I wrote, I wrote my, my doctor of theology on this ethical methodology by a well-known Baptist who's now passed away. His name was Norman Geisler. Okay. So okay. that's just two parts. Raised as an Adventist, knowing right yeah. and wrong, then studying at Andrews, learning a, a dangerous theory and studying it and then showing it's not biblical and coming mm -hmm. back to what I call faith ethics, the biblical system. Okay. Um, before we came on, you, you said last year you were teaching in Jamaica. Um, yes. And, and you also, you taught at Seleucia in Zimbabwe for four years. So you're right. well acquainted with, with some of the land where many of our viewers will be from. And we thank you so much for joining us. So let's jump into the first question because I'm looking at the time. What does ethics mean to you? When you hear the word ethics, what does it mean to you? Yes. Now I should say that sometimes people use the word ethics morality, and other terms somewhat interchangeably, okay. um, right? And, and I don't mind that. Some people are more specific. Oh, this is morality. This is ethics. But in normal, everyday conversation, we use them interchangeably. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so what does ethics mean to me? Because I am a Christian who loves the Lord, and because I also am a Seventh-day Adventist, when that question comes, I prefer to answer it within the framework of us as a people. Firstly, a Christian a group, and then secondly, more specifically, a Seventh-day Adventist. For me, ethics, I can summarize in five words. Loving mm-hmm. loyalty to the Lord. Okay. Five words. Loving loyalty to the Lord. That's it. Simple five words. Loving loyalty to the Lord. Uh, it's a gratitude to him. It's a response And some time ago, I got to tell you this brief story. I was studying the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, verse 4. And there was this phrase in his prayer where he's talking to the Lord and says, You who show mercy to those and, and who love you and keep your commandments. I thought, love you and keep your commandments. And I went back and I found out that it was in Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. Moses, uh, Daniel was apparently quoting Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. And then I went to the Ten Commandments itself, Exodus chapter 20, verse 6. By the way, I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. So this verse, Exodus 20, verse 6, which is in the beginning of the Second Commandments, close to the beginning, says, actually, uh, it's towards the end of the Second Commandment, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. And I did a fascinating study, Sam. And I found out that repeatedly, especially in the book of Deuteronomy, you have a sequence, love, keep, love, walk, love, obey. And my Mm -hmm. conclusion was, this is wonderful. It's a loving response. That's why I've got ethics is loving loyalty to the Lord. Wow. Okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. So let's fly into our next question then. Let's fly into our next question. Why is it, would you say, why is it important for Christians to think through why they make the decisions that they make. Let me say the question one more time. Why is it important for Christians to think through why they make the decisions that they make? Okay. Now, now you, in your question, you asked the word, the Christian, Mm. not the secular person. And we're not attacking. I'm just differentiating, not the Buddhist or the Muslim, the Christian. That's an important word, because the word Christian makes me remember when I was a kid growing up, and I mentioned I was raised in an Adventist family, and and sometimes when I was a young teenager, I would be leaving home to go spend time with my friends, and I remember my dad saying, remember whose son you are. Mm. Remember your family name. What did that mean? (laughs) Remember that you are representing somebody. Mm. You're not just yourself. And so when you say important for the Christian, you are a representative of Jesus Christ. And I want to read a beautiful statement here. Uh, This is not from a Seventh-day Adventist author, but I thought it captures the answer to your question very well. Okay, Here's what he says. If Christian ethics is following Jesus, we have little choice but to follow his lead on this point, to affirm along with him, the supremacy of scripture as the central authoritative source for Christian ethics. So Mm. because I'm a Christian, I want to rightly represent the Christ, 
mm -hmm. and to rightly represent the Christ because I am an ambassador, <laughs> I have to go back to the Bible. Mm -hmm. All right. So I have to, the decisions I make must be representative of the person who I claim to be following. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay. Now, now I want to stop right there. I mentioned that I was raised in a Seventh Avenue family, but not everybody has been. Uh, some uh, of those who are viewing today may say, you're lucky. Man, I was raised in a broken home or, or my parents were alcoholics and, or, uh, I, you know, I was abandoned. I was an orphan. And that's mm. why I want to go to Psalm 87, verse 6. I'm opening we... the word here. Uh, Psalm 87, verse 6. I love this verse that gives me hope. And for any Christians or Adventists listening, it's, the, it's a concept we ex extract from Psalm 87, verse 6. The Lord will record when he registers the peoples, this one was born there, Selah. And, and, and what the theologians and Bible students have gotten from that is God takes into account our background, where we're we from, yeah. uh, you know. And so this is what's so nice to me. I love that because this is the gracious God we serve. He has, he's a forgiving God. So when you ask why is it important for the Christian, each one of us is Christians, but we're all in different places in our growth as we travel to the kingdom. And so we must make decisions based upon the word of God in the context of the grace of God. And that's why I like what, uh, what uh, Peter says. And I'll go there. Uh, the apostle Peter, as we all know, was the guy who kept, that idiom says, kept, kept putting his foot in his mouth. Yes. <laughs> okay. But he writes this beautiful thing. Uh, it's uh, this, the last verse, the last verse of his second letter. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Wonderful challenge as he ends his letter. But grow in the grace. Notice the first word there is grace. I'll come back to that. And knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So both mm -hmm. grace and knowledge, okay? To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So there are two aspects here. When we're thinking about making decisions and why it's important, we are all on a journey. You and I, everybody else as Christians, and each one of us is challenged to keep growing. And we don't only grow in knowledge. Uh, sometimes we as Christians, especially sometimes we as Adventists, because we have a great base of knowledge on the scriptures, we may pride ourselves on the knowledge of the Bible, but in mm. the process, we don't share that in a grace-filled way. Mm. And that's why I like this passage. You and I and everyone else, we, it's important the decisions we make as we grow, and how do we grow? In grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So one more thing, Philippians 2, verse 5, King James, New King James, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. It's a well-known mm. passage. I mm -hmm. love the way a modern translation puts it. In your lives, notice the practical here, in your lives, you must think and act like Jesus Christ. Amen. Wow, 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 wow. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. So that so makes the foundation. Down. Yeah, that that's the foundation. foundation. Yeah. That's the foundation. That's the foundation. Absolutely. That's the foundation. That's the foundation. So as we, we're going to move into some, some issues soon, but just a bit more on this. What would you say okay. are some of the common misconceptions surrounding this word ethics? 
that 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 we back around from time to time. Some of the common misconceptions. Well, I would say number one in, in that I've come across is people think if you are obeying God that you are a legalist. Okay. Yes. You see, okay. when you emphasize loyalty to God's law, people think law legal. Therefore, you're a legalist. And so that's the first mm. misconception. That's why when you ask mm -hmm. me what is ethics, I call it loving loyalty. Uh, okay. Now, as we, you know, loving loyalty, and I'm going <clears> to <throat> just tease you a little bit here. Um, you told me at the beginning that you aren't married. <laughs> okay. This is going to come up. <laughs> yes, you knew it would come up, all right. But, <laughs> but let me share this with you. This doesn't mean you've not experienced love and appreciation and affection, but mm -hmm. getting married, getting married takes you mm -hmm. to a different concept of love. Okay, teach me. What I teach mean me. by, okay, and so you may not be able to relate too well. <laughs> But let me illustrate that. You see, when I was single and my mother used to say to me, Ron, come and help me do the dishes. I found whatever excuse I could to not do it. I even said, mom, I cannot. If I do the dishes, it's going to ruin my youth ministry. And mom said, what do you mean going to ruin your youth ministry? I said, because, you know, back then we didn't have dishwashers. You had to put your hands in the soapy water and wash the dishes. And your hands were in there so long that your fingers become very soft. Mm -hmm. And my mom knew I played the guitar for for youth meetings and i said my fingers will get too soft and i won't be able to play the guitar <laughs> <laughs> so i made that excuse i cannot wash the dishes it will ruin my youth ministry mm -hmm. however however when i got married do i need okay. to say more <laughs> uh, i'm understanding where you're coming from yeah uh-huh yeah. yeah. to some degree from. i became the dishwasher my wife okay. does the cooking I do the dishes. You get the point. Okay. And so I tell I tell people love does interesting things. Mm. And I say now I can do the dishes without excuses. Mm -hmm. Okay. Not mm -hmm. because I enjoy the dishes, but because I enjoy the one and I love the one I'm doing it for. Mm. Mm. See, it's out mm. of love. Out of love. Not legalism. See. Yeah, so the first misconcept of ethics uh, that people have that it's legalism. It's not legalism. It's That's why my definition is loving loyalty to the Lord. Mm, mm. Loving loyalty to the Lord. Uh, a second misconception is that ethics is head knowledge. Okay. Okay. Uh, he understands, he knows, he or she is able to discern uh, um, and, and, and you know works in the hospital as a medical ethicist and can help the doctors through very difficult situations. I'm not saying that ethics does not include that, but that's not the, the end all of ethics. Mm. So it's a misconcept that ethics is head knowledge or you have to be brilliant or you have to understand the Hebrew and the Greek of the Bible in order to be a, a practicing ethicist. No, it's not that. Ethics is a lifestyle, a joyful lifestyle of loving loyalty to the Lord. Mm. Mm. Okay, uh, one more thing I should add. Yeah. Ethics is not, ethics is not merely societal expectations, what people expect of you. Uh, okay. Or it's not, you know, it's not that. 
uh -huh. or what the government expects you to do. There are laws in the country, but sometimes the laws of humans contradict the law of God. So that's not ethics, that's legal expectation or societal expectation, but that's not ethics. Mm. All right, so it's a misconcept. Mm -hmm. uh, but so mm -hmm. we, as Christians, we say we go with Bible-based ethics, yeah. Christ-centered ethics, properly, yeah. appropriately applied to my life. Mm -hmm. So on the back of that then, um, just quickly, um, differences between biblical ethics and other types of ethics. Um, how does that play out? Um, that, that again, uh, it, before we came on live, I said to you, I need a 40 hour course. You did say this. Teach. So you're asking me an impossibility here. two points. Okay. Let me give you an example. Back in the mm. 60s, at the time of the so-called cultural revolution, when mm. uh, some, uh, there was a major challenges within society around the world, uh, a, 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 a former priest of, uh, I think an Episcopalian priest, um, came up with a book called Situation Ethics, The New Morality. And mm. situationism became well accepted by many, including some apparently well-meaning Christians. What is situation ethics, for example? Okay, it's do the most loving thing. That's what it claims. Okay. But who determines? Who, who determines it's the most loving? I determine it. You determine it. It's not determined by God. In the Bible, it says love is the fulfilling of the law. That's biblical. For mm -hmm. situationism, called situation ethics, it's every person for themselves. It's a kind of humanistic approach, a rationalistic approach. And Fletcher, in his book, Situation Ethics, actually says... It, it could be morally right to commit adultery, to blaspheme God's name, to steal. These are all okay, as long as it's the most loving thing in the situation. Ah. So that's situation ethics, you see? Okay. So, okay. but for, for, Christ, for Christians though, for Christians mm -hmm. we say, what does the Bible say? Okay. What does the good book say? Now, I want to stop there because sometimes you and I, or I and another Christian from a different denomination may disagree with what the Bible says, but at least we're agreed that we must go to the Bible. You see what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And then we, we have the same source. And then we find out that our methods of interpretation are not the same. Then we have to ask each other, whose method is the most appropriate to understand? And he may help me or she may help me. I may help him or her. But we have the foundation being the Bible. Mm. For Christians, for mm. Christians, but situation mm. ethics, utilitarianism, many of these systems are not based upon the Bible. Utilitarianism is the greatest good for the greatest number of people. That's a secular system. But Ad, uh, Adventists and other Christians are serious. Who are serious? We go back to the Word of God. Okay, then. so so bouncing off what you just said, bouncing off what you just said, um, is it ever appropriate? Is it ever appropriate? for a Christian to think they need to choose the lesser of two evils. Why, why not? Ah, 
Now you are asking something uh, about which, as I said in our earlier chat, I did a, a whole doctoral degree on. That okay. was whole issue <laughs> for which I spent many years. Uh, the first question you all have to always ask is when people ask that is, what do you mean by the lesser of two evils? Now, okay. sometimes they simply mean, let's say in the current context in this United States, we have somebody representing the Democrats, Joe Biden, and somebody representing the Republicans, Donald Trump. And, and there are some people who say, I don't like either. For me, this is a choice between the lesser of two evils. Okay. You understand? Mm -hmm. and, and then you say, oh, you mean political choices. Now, there's a third option. You can choose to be independent because you could. You could vote for an independent and sometimes there's an independent who runs for president. Okay, you could, or you could choose to abstain from voting. You don't have to vote, mm -hmm. okay? But that's political questions. Or one more quick example, when we go through the line and it's a potluck or a fellowship lunch, and it's a planned potluck, okay? And it may be that, that day it's going to be a beans and rice or lentils and rice and salad. And uh, I, may, uh, I may say, uh-oh, beans don't agree with my system. I mm -hmm. have to choose the lesser of two evils. Lentils mm -hmm. also disagree, but it's uh, not as bad as beans. Uh, my mm -hmm. wife says that's not a moral dilemma. That's a morsel dilemma. <laughs> I hear okay. you. I caught it. I caught it. I caught it. You see, it's a morsel because I could skip, and most of us could skip uh, one or two meals, and it'll be good for yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, what is what is a moral dilemma? That's what we have to do. We have to identify, define it, and so this is what it is defined by. And again, I've had the privilege of studying and teaching in the area. A true moral dilemma is a mm. time in which you and I are faced with two moral choices both of which we must do, but we can only do one. And in doing one, we violate the other. Okay. Which means we, we are forced to violate a moral norm. Are you following? Mm -hmm. That's the true moral dilemma. So we have to identify because some people say the, the three Hebrews, they faced the moral dilemma. No, they did not. They mm -hmm. had a choice between loyalty to God versus loyalty to humans. And, and Acts 15 verse 29, the disciples correctly said, we must obey God rather than men. That's not a moral dilemma. Mm -hmm. They are having to decide to be faithful to God re regardless of potential results. That's mm -hmm. not a moral dilemma. That's a faith challenge. It's a faith challenge. See what I'm saying? It's a faith yeah. challenge. And we know how to minimize that. It's a difficult mm -hmm. challenge, but it's not a moral dilemma. Mm -hmm. See, in my study over the years, I'm going to make a direct statement, then I'll back it up. I have come to the settled conclusion that genuine moral dilemmas cannot exist in God's universe. Okay. Wow. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let me unpack I'm that. I'm, I'm all ears. I'm all ears. Yes. Now, I said, I said genuine. I'm not talking about yeah, the morsel dilemma. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking mm -hmm. about a lunch line, beans and lentils. All right. I'm not mm -hmm. talking about a political choice. And here, are, I give you three. I can give more. I have seven reasons, but I'll give you three right quickly. Yeah. Number one, we as Seventh-day Adventists and even non-Seventh-day Adventists, Christian theologians, have concluded that the moral law, as seen in the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, Exodus chapter 20, is mm -hmm. a reflection, a transcript of God's character, right? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's an outgrowth. Just as God is perfect, the law is perfect. Just as God is holy, the law is holy. There's lots of internal evidences from the Bible. Mm -hmm. So, if the moral law, which is a transcript, a revelation of God's character, if the moral law conflicts, then it implies that God's character is contradictory. Mm. You understand? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. And some other scholars have said this. I, I, if I had time, I would tell you these amazing. I've, I've got all kinds of notes here, but I, I said it's a 40 hour lecture. Here's my, a little book with all the notes. There's a conflict within God's law. And maybe I should see, I can read that. Like, this is the reality. Okay. We cannot claim that God's law will contradict conflict if the law is a transcript or a revelation of his character. Number one. Number two. Yeah. Number, two number two. Hebrews chapter four, verse 15, categorically says, Jesus, when he was on this earth, was tempted in all points like as you and I are. You know that. Mm -hmm. Which mm -hmm. means, which means, if Jesus was here on planet earth as we know he was, and if he was tempted in all points like you and I am, then he mm -hmm. had to have faced a moral dilemma. Mm. Which means if one existed, if one existed, correct. Well, God. Mm -hmm. And and then what does that mean? That means he would have had to choose the lesser of two moral evils, and it's recognized the lesser of two moral evils is still a moral evil, which mm -hmm. means Jesus would have to have sinned. We couldn't have a mm -hmm. sinless savior. And the same verse in Hebrews 4, verse 15, he was faced, he was tempted in all points, like as we are, ends off with yet without sin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when we look at when we look at Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. we are clear that their moral dilemmas cannot exist. Mm -hmm. And then one more, one more. I'll just give you one text. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. One Bible text, which has been a very encouraging one to me in my life. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 mm -hmm. says, okay, no temptation. And by the way, the word temptation there is trial test. Okay, no temptation has overtaken you except such as co as common to man. In other words, you shouldn't say, I shouldn't say, oh, I'm the only one who's having this problem. No, no, your mm -hmm. troubles, your trials are common to humanity. Now, notice mm -hmm. the rest four words, but God is faithful. Amen. God is faithful, mm -hmm. and who will not allow you to be tempted, tested, tried beyond what you are able. But with the trial, with the temptation, with the test, will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Mm. So God always provides a legitimate, morally correct way of escape out of anything. Mm -hmm. So those three reasons are enough for me. There yeah. are more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. when people say moral dilemma, you know what my response is in real terms, and I'll admit that. It's not a moral dilemma. It's a mental delusion. Okay. Because you think you're faced with two requirements. You think that. And when you think that, you have to say, okay, Lord, I know moral dilemmas cannot exist. Then you have mm -hmm. to pause, sit back, and pray for wisdom, pray for courage, and pray for the ability to do the right thing. Because there will always be a right way out. Never mm. a moral dilemma. Mm. Mm. Okay, then. Thank you, sir. Thank you. So, 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 because there's a lot of questions here, so I'm going to see if I can, can keep it going. Yes. 
some people might have heard this. Um, I, I know, I know, I know I've heard it before. Is the reasoning that the end justifies the means a biblical approach to decision-making and um, other situations where this, this is permissible? Yeah, now that's a vital question because you see, if you go to the, you said, is it biblical? Mm -hmm. I have a friend who works at the general conference and one day he was in a public meeting. He said, not everything that's in the Bible is biblical. Okay. <laughs> so okay. then he, he began to unpack that. And it's very important. So, so go with me now back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where I just was. I, I want to illustrate that there. Uh, because this is a very important question. Because we do find in the Bible people doing some interesting things. I'm using the word in a nice way. Interesting things. But look at chapter 10, verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Mm -hmm. Now all these things happened to them as examples. That, mm. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Mm. And I know there are some that say, when we look at the Bible, we see the examples and we should follow them. So if, um, you know, uh, Rahab did something, which is one of the topics, uh, we should follow her example. Uh, because she lied to save life. But, but that verse 11 is an echo of verse 6. Go with me up five verses. Mm -hmm. Now these things became our examples. Almost word for word, right? Mm -hmm. Why? To the intent for the purpose that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Ah, notice. So the purpose of the Bible's examples are to show us not what not to do. <laughs> the examples, there are many examples in the Bible of people who acted out of fear. Uh, even one of my favorite passages is in Mark chapter 4, verse 40, where the Jesus is on the boat with those uh, disciples and they were deathly afraid. And, and he stills the waters and he says, why are you so fearful? Notice the two Fs. Why are you so fearful? How it is that you have no faith. Mm. So ultimately, the ends justifies the means is a concept that is based upon fear, not upon mm. faith. Mm. Well, well, okay. I'll that. What do, you mean, what do you mean based on fear, not on faith? Because when we seem to be facing two difficult decisions, let's mm. go back, for example, to the issue of Rahab. Mm -hmm. The two choices she seemed to be facing, as most Christians who've read the Bible conclude, is either tell, tell a lie, which is, we know biblically is wrong, mm -hmm. or, or tell the truth and these men will be taken into prison, executed, or maybe she herself, according to the Code of Hammurabi, which was around the time she was there, the person who took in um, uh, spies, that person's life would be taken. So mm -hmm. Rahab may have done it out of fear of her own life. Mm -hmm. so, so the ends justifies the means is based often upon fear. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid of the potential consequences. Mm -hmm. You follow what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. ends justify the means because 
I'm, if you say the ends, what is the ends? I am projecting into the future what I think will happen. That's the end. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking ahead. But you see, I often ask the question, since when are you a prophet? Since when am I a prophet? Mm -hmm. I don't know what's going to happen in the next five minutes, much less the next five years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Think about you the should. three Hebrews. Think about the three Hebrews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah. If they were thinking about the ends, for them, the end was in the fire. <laughs> You're right? Mm -hmm. And there's the end result. Think of Daniel. For him, the end would have been in the lion's den. Because mm -hmm. if you're projecting into the future, you think you can see what the end is going to be. Mm -hmm. but, but you see, the Christian, that, that's why you're fearful. You want to avoid the end. So you do things. That's why I said the ends justify the means is based upon a fear operation. Mm. And you can see that in the life of Abraham. Abraham yep. gets Sarah to lie for him. And then he says, I was afraid. That's what he says in the Bible. Mm. I was afraid I would lose my life. Abraham, I sometimes jokingly say, wasn't simply the father of the faithful. He was the father of the fearful. Mm. 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 Okay, then. So, 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 so working on this further, working on this further. In, in ethical decisions, when an ethical moral decision needs to be made. Yes. People need to choose, the, people choose, people may choose to make the same decision, but for different reasons and get the same outcome. Are the reasons why you choose to make the decision important? I, I don't know if everyone understood the question. Let me say the question again. So yes. you, you're facing the decision and people may choose to take the same decision, but they choose the same decision for different reasons. Are the reasons why you choose the same, make the decision important if the outcome in the end is the same? That, that is a very tough question. Partly because you and I don't know the heart, but mm. let's assume the motives. Let's assume they tell you or they tell me uh, look, a quick example, a man who's going to donate a million dollars to a Christian school because it's having financial trouble, right? Mm -hmm. And there are two men who decide to do that. The one man does it, and he says, I was a student here. I was blessed by this Adventist school, and I want to give back as a token, as a token of gratitude and don't put my name on a plaque. Don't let anybody know because I don't want to suffer from pride because I'm simply a steward. All the money I have is by God's grace and I'm simply using his money in the best way I know how. So I'm donating a million dollars to get the school back on its feet. Mm. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now his cousin, let's for example, raised in the Adventist faith also, but he has slipped away from the Adventist faith he has gone and made as much money. He comes along and says, listen, I also went to that school. I'll give a million dollars on condition. You put my name out there on a plaque. Mr. So-and-so donated this money because mm -hmm. I want my name known. Notice mm -hmm. the difference. Mm -hmm. Follow? The one is done unselfishly based on stewardship. The other one does it because of pride or whatever. He's, I want to know, I want people to know it's me, I'm the one, it's self. So one is selfless, the one is selfish. That's just an example. Mm -hmm. So you know the motives. The results are the same, <laughs> okay? 
one million from each. Mm -hmm. The actions are the same, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. But guess what? Even if the man didn't say why he wants it, if he says, I want my name on the plaque, God reads the heart. God sees the motives. Mm -hmm. And so this is a very important question you raise. I'm glad you did. True biblical ethics, according to scripture, must have two aspects foundational. One, it must be the right motive, right attitude, right reason. And number two, the right action. The two must go hand in hand. The right motive, the right reason. You see, yeah. when it gets to the lesser of two evils, people say, I have the right motive. But they, they go with the wrong reason, uh, as in the wrong action, sorry, the wrong action. They have the right reason, wrong action. See that? Yeah. And then there are some people who say, as long as I do the right thing, it doesn't matter what, what's in my heart. As long as I do what's right, I'm doing it begrudgingly. I'm doing it not because I want to. And it's interesting. Mm -hmm. There's a beautiful statement that you can find in, in the writings of Ellen White. She says, the one who does obedience begrudgingly does not obey. Mm -hmm. Interesting. <laughs> okay. God loves a cheerful giver. That's correct. Exactly. It's a cheerful giver. So it's the giver who's cheerful. Same two points. The motive. Mm -hmm. And the method mm. are important, okay? The reason, the reason, uh, the intention, as well as the action, the two must go together. But ultimately, both of these, as Christians, are only to emulate the life of Jesus as a loving response, loving loyalty to the Lord. That's the foundation. Amen. Okay, then. Here we go. Transitioning slightly. Okay. Um. Two people, so somebody may be growing up in a home with two Christian parents, or they're going to a Christian, per, going to a, a Christian church as a young person, and sometimes you see your mom do some things that your dad wouldn't do, or your dad do some things that your mom wouldn't do, or in your church you see one elder is willing or prepared to do certain things, take certain actions that um, another elder um, wouldn't make, or, or, or vice versa, or your Sabbath school teacher, it could be whoever. Um, people who are proposing to be Christians sometimes make different choices, different decisions. And, um, you know, Romans 14 and 5 says, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Right. How does a young person go about developing for themselves sound ethical reasoning that is in line with the Bible and Seventh-day Adventist principles to help them make ethical decisions when sometimes there's so much going on? Well, very good. Now, I'm glad you went to Romans 14, verse 5, but make sure you read 14, verse 1, because chapter mm. 14, verse 1 introduces the context for 14, verse 5. Mm -hmm. Okay. Receive one who is weak in faith, Romans 14, verse 1. So you welcome somebody who is weak in faith. Mm. Then it says, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Mm. Very important. The context is being persuaded in your own mind is when you are, it, the word there is disputable issues. Mm. Now, I want to make sure there's a difference here. And when it says, be, let every man be persuaded in his own mind, it's, this, this text has to do with disputable matters, such as, is it better to be a vegan <laughs> than a mm. lacto-ovo-vegetarian? You get what I'm saying? All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And mm -hmm. the Seventh-day Adventist Church has not taken a position on that. But we mm -hmm. don't debate, should we keep Saturday?
from Friday evening till Saturday night, or should we keep Sunday? Those mm -hmm. are not disputable things. You understand? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when it's talking about let each man be persuaded in his own mind, it's on peripheral issues that are not mm -hmm. part of what we as Adventists call the 28 fundamental beliefs. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to say you can be persuaded in your own mind whether or not Jesus is the savior of the world. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is a foundational concept for all Christians. Mm -hmm. So you follow the disputable <laughs> things are things such as what kind of food is better? What kind of exercise is better? Which place is it better to live? You know, in a, in a smoggy city, if that's the only place you can get a job or out in the hinterland and the farmland where you're starving to death because you don't know how to grow your own fruit, fruit and vegetables. You follow mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So on disputable matters, yes. Yes. So mm -hmm. keep that in mind. Romans 14 verse one, we are only talking about disputed matters. Mm -hmm. Anything I tell people, anything outside of the 28 fundamentals for us as Adventists. Mm -hmm. See? I'm understanding what so, you're saying. Right. So that's that's the key thing. The second thing, I, I've, I've hinted at it before, no matter what it may be. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Jesus says, judge not that ye be not judged. We mm -hmm. are not to judge each other. And, and, and the context, from the best I understand, has to do with the judging of the motives. Mm -hmm. And the reason I know it is because Jesus also in the same Sermon on the Mount does say, by their fruits ye shall know them. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, Jesus calls upon us to be fruit inspectors, but not judges of the heart. Mm -hmm. Follow? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so how must a young person who's looking at mom or dad we are not going to judge the heart or a young person who looks at an elder in the church and he sees the elder doing one thing and another elder doing another thing. Again, we don't judge the heart. We look at the fruit. By their fruits, ye shall know them. Same chapter, Matthew chapter 7, verse 8, 15 through 20. By their fruits, ye shall know them. Whereas chapter, same chapter, 1 through 5, it warns us not to judge. We don't judge the heart. We look at the fruits. Okay, very important. And then one more thing. This is a thing that to go back to your question, what should young people do? Anyone? First Corinthians, back to that same chapter. I've been going back to chapter 10 over and over again. This verse, I almost think should have been in chapter 10. And I claim that only because it's chapter 11, verse 1. Mm. And it is, it is included in the New King James Version as part of the end of the paragraph of chapter 10. Mm. Okay, um, you know, in verse chapter 10, verse, we, did, we had chapter 10, verse 11, chapter 10, verse 6, chapter 10, verse 13. I want to touch on chapter 10, verse 31. Firstly, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Mm -hmm. There's a beautiful text for ethics, right? Mm. Perfect text for ethics. Now we keep going on and we get to chapter 11, verse 1 which in my Bible is included with chapter 10. Paul says, imitate me, emulate me, follow me, follow my example. How? Just as I also imitate, emulate, follow Christ. So my answer to that difficult question, you got two parents, one does one thing, one does another. What should young people do? You got elders, you got deacons, 
you got people in the church? The answer is simple. Don't look at people. Look to the Savior. Look at Jesus. And follow the elder. Follow the parent only as they imitate Christ. And that's the key. For me, the key is first Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. The great apostle Paul couldn't have said it better. Follow my example as I follow Christ. Which, by the way, ties in with 1 Peter 2, verse 21. For to this you were called, that Christ also suffered for you, giving you an example that you should follow his steps. Okay? So that's the whole idea. So we don't judge people. We don't know their motives. We assess their fruits. But we always simply follow Jesus. Okay. I'm looking at the time and I'm looking at the questions. And I'm looking at the time and I'm looking at the questions. Um, so so th the next few questions, we'll probably just do one of them. It says, yeah, there were, you ha we had some biblical stories or some biblical examples. And as yes. you, you were saying earlier, that um, sometimes you look at the Bible stories and it can give an impression that God blessed certain actions or certain behaviors. Um, and it can be difficult to reconcile what, what that particular situation with what we know about how God or how we should live our lives today. And we had a few down here and I'm looking at the time and hopefully we're gonna be able to address them, but we had, we had how do you reconcile lying Rahab with thou shalt not lie? And you, you kind of touched on that already. And right. then we had, um, how do you reconcile David killing Goliath with thou shalt not kill? Um, let's, let's, do, let's, do number, let's do this one. The, the, how do we reconcile the patriarch's polygamy with thou shalt not commit adultery? Because I know we were talking beforehand and you were saying that was, that was an important one to touch on. Yes. Uh, first, the, uh, thank you for that one. And partly because I, I have done some uh, work in that area. Uh, in fact, I was just in Kenya uh, two years ago, 2017, for the All-Africa Pan-African Family Life Conference. And Dr. Mm -hmm. Willie Oliver invited me to come and speak to all the leaders. I was, uh, And I'm thankful, I'm not boasting, I was the keynote speaker. Very grave responsibility to speak to all of the uh, leaders of Africa. They invited the division presidents, the family life directors, and one of my topics was polygamy. Mm. And uh, I'm an African, born and raised in South Africa, and I've done some work in that. The, the answer to this question is always, we always have to ask, how did God start things? And this is an important chronological question in Bible study. In fact, mm. when you go back to this experience of Jesus on the road to Emmaus, that one text in Luke, Luke 24, verse 27 says, mm -hmm. and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he explained or expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. It's, it's always Christ-centered concerning himself. But where did he start? He started at Moses. He started in Genesis, essentially. So I mm -hmm. say to people, let's go back and see how was marriage established by God. And when we go back to the Edenic model, the Edenic uh, thing, we find that God had Adam and Eve, not Adam, Eve, and Genevieve. Mm -hmm. Not uh, one husband and two wives. You see that? And so, and the Bible scholars have gone back and said, okay, in, in Eden, God established the pattern for marriage. Then we study further, and I, and I had the privilege of doing a, a you know, 300 page doctoral dissertation on this called the project dissertation, found out some interesting things I didn't know before. Besides looking at how marriage was established, I found out that there were actual laws against 
polygamy. Leviticus 18, verse 18. Deuteronomy chapter 17, 17. The king shall not multiply wives for himself. And he was to be the model for all the people. And then I found out something more interesting. And I love the way this, liter this, this scholar says, um, literary scholars of the Bible have long noted the amazing transparency of biblical portraits. Samson's carnality. Nice way of saying he slept around. <laughs> mm. David's lust. Solomon's political and religious compromise or Elijah's, Elijah's cowardice in running from Jezebel are all presented with remarkable forthrightness. There was no attempt to hide the human frailty of biblical heroes. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. I end off by pointing this out. God, not the biblical heroes, is magnified throughout. In a mm -hmm. nutshell, when you study the Bible stories, the Bible stories actually show us the grace of God. Mm. If we study carefully, we, in fact, I looked at the four major polygamists, uh, Abraham, Jacob, David, and Solomon. Mm. And this was part of my dissertation. And, and I have the longest chapter in my dissertation, which you can download free, uh, called Polygamy in the Bible with Implications for Seventh-day Adventist Missiology. But if anybody wants it, you can go there free, Andrews University, put Ron Dupre, D-U-P-R-E-E-Z, and you can get polygamy in the Bible. And I show how these four characters were all called by God into a special role when they were either single or monogamous. Mm -hmm. God never called a man into a special role when he was already polygamous. They all drifted away from God. It's amazing when you read the chronology. They were called when they were faithful. They drifted away. They sinned. But then, amazingly, God brought judgment on them, either orally or in active things. And all four of these men, we see them giving up their polygamy, stopping their polygamous practice. It's very clear in Jacob, Abraham, David. Solomon's case, there's not enough storyline to prove it, but it, it's hinted at it. They all stopped their polygamy. They all kept looking after the former wives. They took care of them. They didn't abandon them, but they all came back and they had a reconversion, a transformation of life, which is, a, I discovered that myself by reading, studying the word of God and found out that, yes, by the way, your question, patriarchal polygamy, adultery, Ellen White does identify polygamy as a violation of the law of God and as a form of adultery. And she even says the gospel condemns the practice of polygamy. But, but the whole story is this. The stories show God's grace. God mm. didn't abandon them. God worked with these backsliders and called them back. Uh, I love Jeremiah 31 verse 3. His loving kindness drew them back. That's mm. the kind of God we serve. Mm. 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 Um, three minutes left. Perhaps, yes. perhaps the, 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 the final question. Um, or I'll, I'll amalgamate the last two questions. Okay. Um, so these are the last two. What would you say are two key principles, if you could boil it down, that people can apply to their everyday lives in their decision-making processes? And for the young person in the secular university, young person on their job, um, we've got different age ranges that are listening, um, what advice would you give to them to help maintain their ethical standards? Okay. Yeah. Two or three minutes, we'll do our best. 
And I'll say it slowly in case somebody wants to write it down. I'll repeat it. First question, first a key principle to ask ourselves, number one, am I acting out of love for Jesus? Mm. That's a key question. Am I acting out of love for Jesus? Which goes to the motive issue, goes to the motive, obviously. So it's not legalism, it's loyalty. Am I acting out of love for the savior who died for me, for my best friend, for the one who I want to rightly represent? There it is. Am I acting out of love for Jesus? And question number two, principle number two, am I doing the right? Now you may say, well, how do you know what's right? Well, we come to that in a minute, but am I doing what I understand to be right? Because I'm on a journey and I've had to change. The more I study the Bible, the more I found out that, whoops, I, I missed the boat here, but, but God is gracious. So am mm -hmm. I doing right regardless of results? Three R's there. Right, mm. regardless of results. Mm. Mm. Okay. In other words, in other words, am I doing right by faith, trusting that God will take care? Remember the three Hebrews as they were facing the fiery furnace. They said, "Our God." Notice they had a personal relationship. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. They believed in the promises of God, uh, the power of God. He is able to deliver us, and He will deliver us. They believed in His promises. They were trusted in it. Then they added, "But if not, there's the mm -hmm. faith aspect. But if mm -hmm. not." In other words, you do not act out of fear of the future. You act out of faith in the Father. Mm -hmm. So that's the key second question. Am I doing right regardless mm -hmm. by faith, regardless of results? In fact, mm -hmm. Ellen White using saying Christ's ambassadors, I'm quoting from Great Controversy 609, paragraph one. Christ's ambassadors, which you and I are, again, back to Jesus. Christ's ambassadors have nothing to do with consequences. They must do the mm -hmm. right and leave results with God. Do the right and leave results with God. GC 609, paragraph one. And to, to summarize, what should young people do? One of the best decisions I ever made in my life, besides giving my life to the Lord, spend time in the word. Back in 1981, I made a decision. I'm going to read and feed on the word every day. I want to read the Bible through every year, once a year. And in English, there are many versions. So by God's grace, this year, I will finish reading the Bible through for the 40th time. Wow. Reading it cover to cover, different versions, just for personal feeding. And some people may say, but I don't get anything out of it sometimes. That's okay. Sometimes you may, when you're married, you, you may just walk together and not even say anything. You're just spending time with the person. You may not mm -hmm. even understand what the person's telling you who you love. Just spending time with the Lord in the word. Read the word. Feed on the word every day. And of course, spend time in prayer. Spend time in prayer. Feeding mm -hmm. on the word. Praying. Uh, those are key things. And obviously, Every morning, recommit your life to Jesus. Every day, Lord, take me today. Use me. Lead me. But feeding on the word is so important. That's key. And I suspect too many of us as Christians, we don't feed 
And when we don't feed on the word, we become anemic, mm. weak. We lose our way. Mm. That's my best. Uh -huh. uh, that was, that was, that was, in the time that we had, that was, that was, that was a blessing. That was a blessing. I want to thank you so much. Um, thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to be with us. Thank you for taking the time to share. Um, you said you're not going to promote any books, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, you've got some books. You've got some yes. books. Just quickly, what books, what books are there? How can people access them? In terms of morality, ethics, things like that. Uh, okay, well, I'll start with this book called Morals for Mortals, mm. um, which is a compilation of 10 essays that I wrote, uh, written over a period of 15 years. Different essays, put them all together in one cover called Morals for Mortals. It was actually used at Andrews University as a textbook uh, for doctoral students, but it was also used as a textbook at the high school level. So the book can be used from high school mm -hmm. all the way up. It was also used as a college textbook for I think three semesters at Pacific Union College. So this book was used at three different places in three different ways, high school, mm -hmm. college, doctoral student, morals for mortals. Um, anyway, so that's the first one. Uh, that's a one. Then I preached an entire sermon, series of sermons on the 10 commandments uh, called top 10 guidelines for a great life. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the church I was pastoring, they are still selling this one um, in Michigan. Um, I have some copies myself, but uh, this is simply on the Ten Commandments, practical mm -hmm. uh, sermons. So this is on a sermon series, this one. The, the first one, Morals for Mortals, is a, a more technical one, meaning a lot of Bible verses and a lot of scholarly work. One article has 199 footnotes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so this one has the footnotes. This one doesn't have the footnotes. It's a series of sermons, very practical. But this one, by the way, even in the footnotes, I have stories of, of, okay. of things as well. So this one in the stories are very practical. In the footnotes, uh, you find a lot of stories, sometimes in the text, but this is the, this is the textbook more and answers mm -hmm. all those questions, Rahab and you, know, you name it, all of the challenges. Uh, on, on the back, I talk about uh, you know, issues, so, and then one more for those who are really scholarly, uh, my, PA, my PhD, Doctor of Theology, is in this book called Grappling with the Greater Good. Mm. Uh, the Greater Good, meaning this is like people who say, I'm gonna, not going to choose the lesser of two evils. I'll choose the greater of two goods. Mm. And so my, my, PhD, my PhD was on this topic, grappling with the greater good. And um, uh, so this is my THD the thesis, but it was written so that the, what I call the high school or college educated person can read uh, sufficiently. You don't have to have a, a, a master's or a doctorate to understand this. It was, it's the simple, even just a reader could understand. Uh, so those are the three books. Uh, they are all available through me. They are uh, other, and you can share my email with people or some of them are available at some of the ABCs in the USA, um, because uh, at least one of them, this one, was uh, sold by the Review and Herald for a while. So they were distributed throughout all the Adventist book centers. I don't know if they still have copies, but otherwise, um, you know, I have these three books that specifically deal with ethics. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't have it in my hand, but my dissertation, you can get it free online, like I said, it's called Polygamy in the Bible. 
and you can get that one that specifically deals with the issue of polygamy and it lays the foundation for marriage. What is biblical marriage? Uh, not mm. cultural or sociological, but what is biblical marriage? So there's a resource you can get free of charge by simply going online uh, to Andrews University, put mine, uh, their website. If you just put Ron or Ronald, my full name, R-O-N-A-L-D, Dupre, D-U space, P-R-E-E-Z or Z if you're in the UK, <laughs> okay? And then put the word polygamy in and you can get a free copy of my uh, Doctor of Ministry project dissertation. Thank you very much. Thank you for spending the time with us. Um, much appreciated. Um, I've been humbled um, to be with you. I'd like to pray for you and for the youth um, before, we, before we wrap up. Okay, thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, um, Father and friend, we thank you so much that we can um, come together at this time and discuss this important topic. I'm praying that, um, I know I've been challenged, I'm praying that people will have been challenged um, to take their relationship with you to a higher level, to a deeper level. Amen. Where out of a loving response um, for you, um, they'll do what you desire for them to do. Help us to be loyal to you, O oh Lord. I'm praying, dear Lord, that you'll be with Dr. Dupre, that you'll fill him with your spirit, that um, you'll be with his wife. You see that they're between calls at the moment, um, and you see his situation. You know the plans that you have for him, plans for prospering, and to give him an expected end. And so, dear Lord, I'm praying that you'll work the plans out that you have for his life, and dear Lord, you see that he, he's willing to serve wherever you would have him to go. And so, dear Lord, I'm praying that you'll watch over him, you'll guide him, you'll lead him, that you'll be with his wife, that you'll bless them um, exceedingly, abundantly, more than they can ever think or imagine. Be with the young people and whoever, the older people who have watched this, that um, they'll go from this um, realizing that we need to live daily for you and to spend time feeding on your word. Help us, guide us, and lead us. Um, and please, may we be faithful and... Um, when you come back, help us to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servants. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. We thank you for your blessings. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Sam, for the privilege of being uh, on this Zoom meeting. And uh, thank you for your prayer, especially those words. Uh, at the end, I often tell people, my dream, my desire, my goal is to hear six words from Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. If I hear those six words, I know the next seven. Enter into the joy of your Lord. <laughs> so that's what I tell people. And you ended that with in your prayer. That was absolutely correct. That's why we are here uh, serving our Lord so that he can one day say, well done, good and faithful servant.